1: This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. The premier HVAC company in the Midlands is growing. Are you a top HVAC technician? AAA Heating and Air is looking for dedicated applicants to fill their fast-growing service department with top-notch HVAC technicians.
2: If you're the best, then they want you. If you're ready to stop working and start a career, you can earn up to
1: $100,000 plus a year at AAA Heating & Air. Quality candidates will have at least two years' experience and a good driving record. Benefits include top industry salaries, commission on service and unit sales, set call limits, company-provided take-home vehicle and gas card, company-provided cell phone and tablet, health, dental, and vision benefits, 401k retirement plan with company match and scaled PTO based on length of service. Contact Roy and Dana Finley at
2: 803-677-1500 or check out their job postings on Facebook or ZipRecruiter. Triple A air when you need us. Triple A heating and
3: air. It's the Giga Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs founded by Firemen with Chris Clark. The 2007
1: South Carolina class was at that time, 6th in the country and 4th in the SEC, which is amazing. West
2: Mitchell. You know, I think if you're South Carolina, you're you're aiming to, to at least be at 50%. Then in theory, you're adding talent, you're getting better, you're putting yourself in a
0: position to compete. And Tyler Head. has been a great week for South Carolina. On the
3: recruiting front, still certainly plenty to talk about. On the home of the Gamecocks. 1075. The Game.
0: And welcome in to the GameCock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 1075 The Game. Tyler Head, Wes Mitchell, and Chris Clark along with you on this Monday morning. You see, you guys uh, survived your Cinco de Mayo weekend. Yeah. We're here. Yeah, fun. We're, everything's good. Anything Did you good? have a good Cinco de Mayo? Uh, I didn't do anything significant for Cinco de Mayo. You so. n- ate no tacos? No, no tacos, unfortunately.
1: I actually ate some last night. At an unnamed establishment because okay. they're not a sponsor. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I already told y'all I don't celebrate <laughs> because I celebrate the rest of the year. So, that's fair. Cinco de Cuatro. I yeah. mean, I mean, Cuatro de Mayo. God, that was really bad. Two numbers. You can see I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> put that... Hey, put that in the new sounder. Can we start this podcast over?
2: Oh, sure. We're oh, we're live? Yeah. So. <laughs> What, what's it?
0: Welcome into the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 Game. Tyra West and Chris along with you. We won't talk about Cinco de Mayo. Instead, we will talk about potential new Gamecocks on the horizon as we had at least one that we know of that has been recently on campus. We've talked about the transfer portal obviously since spring practice ended and uh, still a couple of weeks away from the team getting back together for like organized team stuff. Uh, Logan Diggs, the uh, no, uh, Notre Dame running back who we saw in the Gator Bowl a couple of months ago, being courted as a potential Gamecock, but some stiff competition from LSU on the horizon.
2: Yeah, lots of competition there. South Carolina hosting two official visitor, visitors over the weekend uh, with both Logan Diggs and uh, Jatias Gear from right up the road where Chris is from, actually, but... Yeah, I think uh, when you look at these two guys' gear, you can kind of slot him as a heavy South Carolina lean. He's an edge prospect from Syracuse and someone that I I think they, uh, you know, assuming everything went good this weekend, they felt good coming in. Everything did go well from what we've heard. And, you know, I, I think a good shot that he will end up at South Carolina. And, you know, with Diggs, I would say it's a little bit more difficult to predict. This is the one that, Gamecock fans, I think, have really allowed themselves to get excited about and kind of think about the possibilities, Chris. Yeah, I remember watching that Notre Dame team last year, and I remember kind of watching some clips from their games before and kind of trying to scout them out and get a good idea of what to expect from them, and just thinking, man, they got three stud running backs that are almost similar in size and skill set and ability. And they all kind of play. And if you're not paying attention to the numbers, you you know, and if you're not super familiar with Notre Dame, you maybe don't even know which one's in the backfield just from watching them run or just kind of eye test. So, uh, you know, I, I I think it's kind of rare, especially then this transfer portal for you to be able to go out and, and possibly get a guy like Diggs. But this was almost like a perfect storm for him to hit the transfer portal Now, it's a little bit more of a perfect storm if you're LSU because you're sitting there going, we have his coach who originally recruited him to Notre Dame. He's from Louisiana. So if he wants to return home, then there's a lot of sort of signs that would point towards LSU. That said, LSU has, I think, about six scholarship (laughs) running backs right now. Much different running back room you know, than South Carolina, much deeper group. And, uh, you know, it seems like the weekend went well. Chris, I I think important for us not to get everyone's hopes completely up, but also to acknowledge that Carolina, I think put themselves at least in this conversation with Diggs and his mom, who was also on campus with him.
1: Yeah, it is an interesting situation because, so look back at Notre Dame's, running back room. You're exactly right, Wes. I remember watching the Gator Bowl and and you're just sitting there. Remember how much success Notre Dame had, particularly later in the game, as they kind of wore the Gamecocks down and going, okay, now which running back is that? You know, Because especially Aldrick, Estime, and Diggs are even more similar to each other. Estime ended up leading them in yards per carry with 5.9. He ended up being their leading rusher in terms of yards and uh, their leading touchdown maker, had 11 of them. That was a Steve Spurrier term, touchdown maker. But Logan Diggs, um, I think he led them in carries. So he was the guy that they turned to most often. He also had uh the season-long reception on the team overall, uh, 75 yards. That came in the Gator Bowl against the Gamecocks, took that little swing past the distance. And he had the team-long run for that season as well. So, has some explosiveness. He's a bigger guy that can run. And, you know, when he first hit the portal, I think maybe a little bit of surprise because even though they did have, including Diggs, three really good backs last year, it's kind of going, okay, you know, this guy still took the most carries on the team. The natural inclination was to look exactly where West pointed to at LSU because of the Brian Kelly connection, the home connection. He was one of those kids that you felt like maybe he was going in the portal with the end game kind of in mind, like with an eye towards, hey, maybe getting back towards LSU. But then you look at LSU, and that could have been the case, but you look at LSU, and they've got all these guys back. I mean, their they're top three rushers last season, actually Jaden Daniels, their quarterback, was the leading rusher, but out of their backs, I'm looking at the top three, Josh Williams, Noah Kane, John Emery Jr., all highly recruited guys, I believe, and they're all back and they had, Josh Williams had 532 yards, Noah Kane had 409, John Emery had 375, and that's not the only guys they have. I mean, six scholarship backs at a place like LSU, you can assume and you can know that they're all talented backs too, right? So the depth chart situation at South Carolina is certainly more
0: appealing. And when you look at Diggs, and again, it's not going to be easy to make him a Gamecock because you do have to um, had that other factor of LSU there. But, but given his statistics and, and kind of being a compliment that he was and that three-headed monster that, that Notre Dame had, he definitely fits the mold of coming in here and being a top back should you be able to land him. And again, we'll see what carry on Jonah ends up being at the running back position and can certainly still stay there. But if you had to rely on a guy to take a bulk of the carries, Logan Diggs certainly could fit that mold.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Diggs is your almost classic prototypical sort of workhorse back, SEC back. Yeah, yeah, he's he's fast. He's got speed, but I, I think you look at the size, you look at what he's done to this point in his career. And just having a guy like that, I think changes the outlook on offense. There's a reason we've talked about running back. We've talked about edges like those two spots you focus on during this transfer portal window. I mean again, we're we are, like you said, man, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it's that that's why people love recruiting is because they like to dream about possibilities and you know if you're south carolina i think it changes your conversation a little bit on y- your offense and kind of what the ceiling of that offense is chris like because then you're talking about taking you know i, I don't know where digs will rank if you just said all right who who are the best backs in the sec like that's that's probably a conversation we maybe try to get into if You know, he ends up at South Carolina. But as far as saying, all right, you're South Carolina, you have Spencer Rattler back at quarterback. You obviously have Juice Wells back at wide receiver and a great supporting cast or a solid supporting cast there. You feel good about your tight end room. You're kind of checking the boxes at at every level of that offense. Now, I I do think if we want to get nitpicky, there are some concerns on the offensive line at this point with the loss of Jalen Nichols for at least – You know, the foreseeable future, the near future, the beginning of the season, you know, probably longer than that. So I think there there still would be questions. This isn't like necessarily the final puzzle piece, but it would still be a massive puzzle piece for South Carolina.
1: Yeah, because the the position that you're really missing the most, aside from those stated concerns on the O-line with depth, is running back because you kind of look at the missing piece of not having Marshawn Lloyd. And I was going back recently, guys, and just looking at some of the games. Obviously, South Carolina had their two biggest wins last season, either without Marshawn Lloyd, Tennessee game, or a limited Marshawn Lloyd in terms of the snaps, which is the Clemson game. But you'd still much rather have him if you could because you look at some of the runs he made during the year. He helped them win games. He was so dynamic. Diggs is a different type of back. He's a little bit more of a straight-ahead runner, but he's a he's a big kid. He can run with some physicality. He can break tackles, and he has some pretty legitimate speed, especially for a guy his size. So I think if you look at his addition, you're getting a guy who's been, again, on a, on a good Notre Dame team, didn't have maybe the year they anticipated, but a good team, certainly by the end of the year, he was their leading leading ball carrier, you know, in terms of the amount of times that they gave him carries. South Carolina doesn't have that right now. They have Juju McDowell, who's a different type of bat. They have Mario Anderson, who certainly has lots of experience carrying the football, albeit at a lower level. And then you've got a guy who's moved into carry-on joiner. Then you have a freshman joining your program in DJ Braswell, who has talent. But again, we we haven't seen him take a, a single snap as a Gamecock. So if you can land digs, you could really make this a general point. If you can land somebody of his caliber, now you're getting not only a depth guy, which is big. That that would be kind of the minimum goal is to just get a depth guy. Cause now you've got five scholarship backs at a position that typically has injuries. You're getting not only that, but you're getting a guy that has starter ability. Yeah, and, and not to belabor
2: a point or beat a dead horse or whatever cliche you want to hit on, but I, I just look back, Chris, and... You and know, I are talking about this off air, but so some decisions that have been made as far as the transfer portal goes. You just I mean, you look at you look at Marshawn Lloyd, you look at Jordan Birch, both their decisions, I feel like they just over they kind of overthought their situations, I think, because both those guys would be starters, obviously, and key. Pieces on a South Carolina team that really the way it is set up is is already set up to be a pretty good team, but and and, you know they they left um, in in the case of Lloyd he left before the bowl game Birch left after, but especially in the case of Lloyd left before it was apparent that you know Rattler was coming back Juice was coming back you're adding all these tight ends to the mix as well. But it it is somewhat interesting that we're sitting here talking about who are the missing pieces, what are the spots they need to fill, and it's from two positions that really were already filled by good players on your campus, and they overthought it, I think, in going elsewhere. So some of the other transfers, you know, they are what they are, but I I think you circle those two, and you're just saying – but both sides could have benefited greatly from them just sticking around and having a little more faith in the process and a little more faith in sticking it out at South Carolina because now knowing the guys that returned you're not you're not only talking about a team that I, I think we all you know CBS just put out their post spring top 25 they have South Carolina at 20 ESPN didn't have South Carolina in their post spring top 25 they call their there's power rankings their power ranks they didn't have South Carolina so you know there's some differing opinions out there but I think if you had those two guys in the mix this would be probably a consensus top 20 team yeah going into next
1: year well and and it's going to be super interesting I don't know if we have an answer to this yet will Marshawn Lloyd start at Southern Cal what if he doesn't because sometimes you hear there are different reasons that guys transfer. His was primarily just a playing time slash usage in the offense transfer. And maybe there was a loss of faith in the next guy being brought in, how that would change. That's possible, you know? Um, but just in terms of just the raw snap numbers. You know, it's not like Southern Cows cupboard was totally bare. It's not like they're elite. Um, but when you look at what they... I mean, they have Austin Jones, who's a senior, originally transferred from Stanford. They have Relique Brown. They have prominent roles in the Southern Cow offense at the end of last season. And so, Marshawn's good enough where he could maybe beat everybody out. You know, but, but what if he doesn't? Or what if Lincoln Riley decides he likes another guy better? And now you've left, you know... I know we all had, we had long conversations like, I remember after the Arkansas game, you know, and some other games about Marshawn Lloyd, how many touches he got in those games. But, you know, the, the, the week before the Missouri game where he got banged up, he got 22 carries against Kentucky. He got 18 carries against A&M, and he, start, he was a starter. So, you know, um, again, kids are free to make their own decisions. But, th- but that is one that I think is going to be very interesting pending when we look back you know, after this season, maybe Marshawn Lloyd's the starter there and he carries the ball six hundred times, you know, as a Heisman front runner. Who knows?
2: Yeah, if he if he blows it up, I'm then dead made wrong. It great. Yeah, to yeah, we'll go. Right, come on here and say it. Yeah, you know? then it was the right decision for him. But right now, I think you look at that, I don't know that it was the right decision for Marshawn Lloyd or and it was or South Carolina. Yep. Like, you look at it from both sides. Um there are like I said, there are other transfers where you look at it and, and even some other high-profile guys, you look at it and you say, you know, pro- probably best for all sides there. But as those are the two I circle, Chris, where I'm just like, you
0: know what? There is some overthinking going. We'll continue to talk recruiting, both out of the transfer portal and from the high school ranks. On the other side, you're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs, 107.5 The Game. Takeover
3: Hour. 107.5 The Game.
0: All right, going to take a minute here to
1: tell you about our friend Amy Mason-Cup at State Farm. If you're a parent out there like me, you know that you do absolutely anything for your kids, and that is why it is so important to protect them with life insurance from State Farm. State Farm agent Amy Mason-Cup will help make it easy and affordable to help you protect your family no matter what the future holds, because for the people you do anything for, life insurance could mean everything. Call State Farm agent Amy Mason Cup in the Midlands today or visit her website. That's amymasoncup.com. Amy Mason Cup, M A S I N C U P P.com. She's a South Carolina native and a local agent. She has actually helped me and my family as well. She can get you a personalized quote to meet your needs and help you save, whether it's life insurance or some other insurance pro- uh, product like auto or home. Again, amymasoncup.com or give her a call today 803 772 let her help your family just like she helped mine again that's state farm agent amy mason cup at 803-772-5554 or amymasoncup.com like a good
0: neighbor state farm is there more recruiting talk on the other side Gamecock central takeover hour presented by firehouse subs and 1075 the game
3: got a warranty shop with complete confidence knowing her name. Chevrolet has got you covered. Stop by or shop online today and see why Herndon Chevrolet makes you smile. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Wes Mitchell, Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecock. 1075 The Game.
0: And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 1075 The Game. Tad, Wes, and Chris along with you on this Monday morning. Talked a little bit about the transfer portal there in the first segment. And, uh, obviously we'll continue to keep our eyes on that. But always keeping an eye on regular recruiting as well from uh, the high school ranks. And I know Wes uh, wrote about this a little bit last week. Uh, Jonathan Paylor, who's obviously a highly sought-after uh, wide receiver uh, you know, prospect, uh, continues to keep South Carolina at the uh, top of his list for potential schools to uh, come to. And we continue to see how the 2024 class will continue to grow.
2: Yeah, Paler, a guy, Chris, that I think we've talked about quite a bit. He really kind of, I started hearing this name, I think it was last summer, maybe, that, hey, you know, this guy might be the top priority right up there with Mazio Bennett. But you didn't know if sort of you would have that mutual interest. If it's always about, especially early on, can you get that traction with guys and chris you and i always talk about kind of the the process of a recruitment do you get a guy in kind of that that junior year maybe for a junior day or a summer visit then do you get him in for that that game experience and then you kind of go through the process from there paylor interestingly enough hasn't really done the whole visit south carolina 15 times Thing like we see some, you know, from some in-state guys, and so he didn't make it to campus like during that spring practice or spring game window. So you, you know, you you maybe said, all right, is that a sign? Is that something for South Carolina to be concerned about? Well, the latest from Payler last week, and uh, so Ethan McDowell, who covers NC State for On Three, was at Payler's track event and talked to him actually uh was nice enough to send me his interview as well. And so South Carolina, according to Paler, still out front. I think NC State, where he's actually been more times than he's been to South Carolina, but I think he just feels a little bit better about where South Carolina is as a program right now, reading between the lines. You know, I think those are kind of the two to watch there. He's got a couple of other official visits going to go to Clemson. But the the short of it is that South Carolina heading into these official visits is still in the best shape. And one of the rare kids these days, Chris, that actually tells you who's on top and <laughs>
1: name names an actual leader. We we really don't see that near as much anymore, I feel like. An absolute rarity. And speaking of rarities, Wes, Jonathan Paler, being from North Carolina, would actually be, this sounds weird, a rare recruiting get for South Carolina out of the state of North Carolina. I was going back and looking some of the data from the past few classes. And there's a there's reasoning behind all this. I think you can kind of point to some different things. Shane Beamer's first class, quote unquote, was the 2021 class, which I don't really count as a class. Part of it was inherited recruits was during COVID. First year, he had a couple weeks to put the class together, basically. One prospect from North Carolina signed out of high school, and that was Nick Barrett in that 2021 class. Somebody fact check me if that's not correct, but I just looked it up again. And yeah, that, that's it. So all the recruiting activity has been transfer portals, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, et cetera, D of V area. But a lot of Gamecock fans, West members on GamecockCentral.com have pointed to this, kind of asked, you know, why has there not been more success in, in, in the state of North Carolina? And I think you can point to a lot of things, but I do think we've seen an uptick in the amount of kids from that state, whether it's Charlotte in 2024, 2025, and beyond, or just some of the areas of North, other areas of North Carolina, like the one Paylor is from, I think they're getting more traction in that state. So, uh, you know, you look back at some of South Carolina's had some really, really good talent from the state of North Carolina. Uh, heck, the t- 2007 class, Melvin Ingram, uh, Travian Robertson, who's now on staff, Chris Culliver, who was a five-star in that mm-hmm. class. They got a bunch of guys from there. So Paler's at a at a need position at receiver, good prospect, and also from the state of North Carolina. So it'd be an interesting acquisition if they can make it happen. I think you look at the
2: blueprint of building a class and sort of how a class is constructed. And we've always said you want to build around the state of South Carolina. Like you want that to be the nucleus of your recruiting, but you can't just take twenty-five guys from the state. I don't think most people no. th- don't think. On, you know, on paper, you certainly can't, and compete in the SEC. You have to be able to expand out into your greater recruiting footprint. And we saw South Carolina during the Spurrier era. That meant branching out into North Carolina. That meant you know using the Spurrier name in the state of florida it was always big for south carolina recruiting the state of florida so we've seen it shift a little bit with this current staff and you know i I think some of it you got to give credit to mac brown say what you want he is an older guy but i mean recruiting legend like he does a fantastic job he has helped shut the the gates to that state do you see that start to open up a little bit more for south carolina moving forward does Travian Robertson get you in the door with a couple of guys in that state moving forward? I think that's something to track because we've seen South Carolina, obviously, this class, this cycle, 2024, lots of success in our state, here in the Palmetto State. But it's been more like, go get some guys from Georgia, go get some guys from the DMV, you know, kind of any anywhere, you know, in that Virginia, D.C., Maryland, obviously, You kind of recruit quarterbacks differently than any other position, I think. So you're national at that position. But we saw them obviously go up to Delaware and land a couple of guys as well. So the footprint has been a little bit different. And we're seeing the makings of a class that right now is number six in the country. I I think to stay in that top 10, if you're just talking about from a long-range look, then ultimately landing a top, it doesn't have to be 10 guys in a cycle, but can you factor in, can you add in, what do you think's fair, Chris? What do you, I mean, two to four yeah. top North Carolina guys each yeah. cycle, depending, you know, depending on cycle to cycle, specific interest of the players, needs, all, I mean, all these different things, right? But, if you could get, I mean, shoot, one to three yeah. top North Carolina guys per cycle then that's another couple of guys potentially
1: to add into that rankings formula yeah and you look at the 2025 class so not this cycle that they're recruiting on but the next one you got the number 2 prospect in the country is right down the road in the Charlotte in Charlotte and uh David Sanders who's a national everybody wants him right but he's been on campus multiple times South Carolina in the game in the game there somebody right outside the top 25 nationally number 26 from Monroe, North Carolina, Jordan Young, who uh, on three industry ranking has as the number one athlete in the country, uh, number two in the state of North Carolina, of course, right behind Sanders and South Carolina in the game with him too. So there's some intriguing options, not only in this class, but in the next one too.
0: You mentioned North Carolina. That's obviously who South Carolina will start off the 2023 season with up there in Charlotte. Uh, Yesterday, we had another set of projections come out South Carolina's win total in 2023, and uh, it's probably not one that are going to make a lot of fans happy. We'll talk about that on the other side. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 1075 The Game. It's the Gamecock
3: Central Takeover Hour. 1075 The Game.
0: It is Monday,
2: and y'all know what that means. It is Meatball Monday. Chris is doing a dance in the studio. Luckily, these video cameras are not rolling yet, but Meatball Monday means you can get a $7.99 medium meatball sub from our friends at Firehouse Subs, firehousesubs.com. Go on there, hit that Rapid Rescue order online, or you can just get the app, save all your information on there, make it very, very simple. There's a sub of the day every single day of the week at Firehouse Subs. That's a $7.99 medium, a five ninety nine dollars small. Again, today is Meatball Monday. That doesn't, you don't have to get the meatball if you don't want it. Obviously, you got a bunch of other options. Tuesday, Turkey Bacon Ranch, that's Tyler's favorite. That's Juice Wells' favorite. You can get that today if you want, mix it up. But again, Meatball Monday today, one of my favorite subs of the day, add pepperoni,
0: seven ninety nine. Appreciate Firehouse Subs for being our sponsor. All right, and the other side, we'll find out how many wins DraftKings think South Carolina is going to have in 2023. We'll talk about it next on Gamecock Central Takeover Hour on 107.5 The Game. It's the Gamecock
3: Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen. With Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecock, 107.5 The Game. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area.
0: And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on 107.5 The Game. Top Head, West Mitchell, Chris Clark, along with you on this Monday morning. Tease this before the break. uh, Phil Steele, the guru of college football, uh, whose season preview should be coming out in a little over a month, I believe. I think he tweeted out yesterday the last pages hit the press on June the 7th. But he tweeted out DraftKings has put out their latest over-under win total projections, for power five teams, and kind of similarly to the ESPN-FBI a couple of weeks ago, uh, South Carolina only sitting at six and a half for the over-under, according to DraftKings. And I I mentioned this in the last hour, kind of playing devil's advocate here. I understand how this number keeps coming up, because when with all these things, they put a bunch of statistics in a computer and simulate things over and over again. When you look at the statistics as a whole for South Carolina in 2022, not overly impressive. But when you look at that three-game sample size to end the season, obviously it's much different than what you saw in the first 10 games. So you're going to continue to see South Carolina being projected for these lower win totals, but I feel like that's the reason why that happens.
2: Well, I think it has been the case the last two off seasons as well. You look at a lot of these numbers. I think the first, you know, Beamer's first season, Chris, wasn't it like three or four wins was -hmm. the over under last year. It was definitely lower than this. I want to say it was five or
1: six, maybe. Yeah, it was, it was three. I'm actually going back looking at some of our Phil Steele material from last year before he was projecting the 2022 season and uh, yeah, preseason over under win total was three and a half for 2021. Yeah, so they, they've they outplayed
2: a lot of these projections. And, and I I know different companies will have different, like you said, numbers that they plug into their formulas and, and then they spit it out. And, and it's good content for them. And obviously, it helps them set their betting odds. But th- this is going to be the case when you're South Carolina and you sort of map out your schedule, and then this year you have North Carolina on there as well. So that's another team that is going to be, at least by the statistics, probably by a computer pretty evenly matched with South Carolina. So if you play that out a million times or whatever it is, it it might be kind of 50-50. Some of those win totals are going to South Carolina. Some of those win totals are going to North Carolina. So uh, I think pretty easy to see why this is the case. The Gamecocks have outplayed that again every single year so far. And, you know, I, I like the point, actually, Chris, I was listening back to what Ellis Johnson said last week for a story. And the fact that Carolina has had some kind of rocky starts to to both seasons under Shane Beamer, but both seasons, they've managed to rally. They've hung together. They have finished the season on, on a high note. So... I think that's part of the reason you see some of the momentum, like Tyler said, right now as far as South Carolina and the more emotional sentiment out there. But by the numbers, they're going to look into everything that happened last season. And by sort of your production, they're going to see, look, the, the leading rusher, we talked about it, South Carolina's leading rusher is at Southern Cal now, um, their second leading, was Jaheim the second leading rusher? Second or third leading rusher? Had to be. You know, is, isn't there either. So by returning production, I'm sure that's a factor in all this.
1: That's going to be an issue as well for South Carolina. If you look back at what Phil Steele projected, th- this is a little bit of a tangent, but last uh, year, he actually went on with uh, Jay and Terry on the early game and was talking about some of his his projections, those computer models that uh, he typically does every year. Great content, very interesting stuff, cool stuff to talk about for fans and and guys like us. But he had mocked, using his model, South Carolina going from 22 points a game, which is what they had averaged in 2021, all the way up to 31 points per game. And, And he was pretty high on South Carolina's chances to do that because of what they were getting back on offense, what they were adding. Guys, do you think that they met that mark? Don't look it up. Yeah, they did. So you already know. You're not even guessing. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, <laughs>
2: Tell us if like I, that. I remember correctly, they yeah.
1: did. No, they did. And actually, so he projected, again, 31 points per game. South Carolina ended up finishing with a 32.2 points per game mark. Largely, as you said, Tyler, on the strength of those last performances uh, you know the the Tennessee game definitely helped when you score sixty three that adds to your average. They actually hit thirty one exactly in the Clemson game, so pretty interesting there. Phil Steele also has I can't say his name ever properly. I
0: always say Phil feel, feel, Steele. Phil feel, Steele. Phil Steele. There you go. You have to say it slower. Are you and, trying to like rhyme the first and last no, name? It just that's how it comes out. Okay.
1: Phil Steele. He has South Carolina. I think we've said this before. Is the toughest strength to schedule in the country. He uses the metric of last year's results, which, you know, obviously that could be misleading, but toughest schedule in the country. Georgia number 63. I feel like you can just copy and paste, uh, oh,
2: hey, South Carolina, (laughs) toughest schedule in the country every Every single freaking year. But side note, Phil Still is, I mean, I got a lot of respect for the guy, and I feel like it is a, much like it used to be when, when the NCAA video game would come out every year, that would be like a big kind of line of demarcation. We were like, college football is right around the corner. When the Phil Still magazine, like there's nothing better if you're a college football head other than the actual games themselves. But when I can remember sitting on a South Carolina beach in the summer, getting in that last vacation and having a Phil Still magazine in hand reading ahead about some of the teams and i don't know if y'all saw his tweet the other day he literally has watched i think he said every
0: single spring game i think he said 57 of 58 if not all of them just about every single one can you all imagine i mean i was sitting there saying
2: i was like man i'm not doing enough here i need to go watch at least all the all of south carolina's opponents spring games i haven't watched any of them except south carolina's obviously so that's That's some, I I have respect for that. And have y'all seen his like wall of TVs where it's like, I don't, it's like nine TVs or something on the wall, which I got to say, there's a little bit of showmanship in that because your brain cannot actually track nine
1: football games at one time. No, you can see like the score. Yeah, check on the score. But you can't process. No, you can't process. Uh, So I found
0: I found the tweet. He said, "My spring game season is officially over." There were 58 televised spring games, and I believe I'm the only person in the country that watched all 58 games. I can almost 100% guarantee he probably is. Yeah, wow,
2: that's a tape grinder right there. That's some hey impressive. His stuff is good, man. He packs he packs a lot of info into those pages. When when you have a magazine that's that thick and you still have to use all those crazy abbreviations, then you got you got a lot of info in there. But I, I still maintain like I, I'm I like the whole two T V setup on a big game day. But even then, my brain if my brain well, will be like if it's two colors that are this that are similar,
0: my brain will get confused. Nine T V you're getting into sports bar territory. We're like, yeah, you can glance up and, like, watch one play on each, but, like, you can't actively keep up with what's going on in all those games.
2: Yeah, you can't process who is doing what, why they're having success, why they're not having... It's hard enough on the TV copy itself of one game... Right. ...to tell exactly what's happening if you really are trying to dive into the game. So, I think the the triple... Anything above triple TV is complete overkill. And, honestly, triple TV... Maybe
3: overkill. All
0: right, we'll come back on the other side, talk a little bit of baseball as we wrap up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game.
3: It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. 107.5 The Game.
2: It is graduation time. Congrats to all those new South Carolina Gamecock alums out there who graduated this weekend. How about go over there and get your diploma framed from Goldline Framing, owned by Kendall Walsh, managed by Joni James? They offer custom framing, a gallery, gifts. That's at 511 12th Street, West Columbia, South Carolina. Give them a call, 803 739 1337. Follow them on Instagram at Goldline Framing SC. They've been in business over 20 years, right across from that big chocolate dip cone in the sky in West Columbia. Open Tuesday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 5 30 p.m., and Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Again, they've got diplomas, original artwork, canvases, jerseys, flags. They can help you with any and all of your custom framing needs. Again, that is Gold Line Framing, owned by Kendall Walsh and managed by
0: Johnny James. All right, it's tough weekend for baseball. We'll talk about it on the other side, wrapping up today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 the game. Gamecock Central Takeover
3: Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the GameCop. 1075, the game. There's a high drive towards left field. Did he get enough of it? It is in the Wild... No, it's over the Wildcats bullpen. Oh, my goodness. Oppo power from Gavin Casas. And just like that, this game is tied. Two out Lightning from Carolina. Fourth home run that Austin Strickland has given up this season, and the second home run of the weekend for Gavin Casas. And boy, to Carolina need that in the worst way to buoy their spirits in the visitors' dugout. Derek
0: Scott and Tommy Moody on the call on the Gamecocks Radio Network. Welcome back into the Gamecox Central Takeover Hour. sitting by Firehouse Subs here on 1075 The Game. That was Gavin Casas hitting the 100th home run of the season for the Gamecocks. Unfortunately, that was one of the few highlights of the weekends for the baseball team as they end up getting swept by the Kentucky Wildcats uh, out there in Lexington. And now kind of limping here as we near the end of the regular season and the injuries continue to mount up as uh, they lost Eli Jerzenbeck in yesterday's game. Uh, Don't know any update on the injury yet, but uh, after what we saw and what we heard, it certainly did not look good for the Gamecocks we just add on another
2: injury and and obviously any time a pitcher comes out like that you kind of are concerned for the worst we won't speculate but never a good sign there and you know what's the adage of kind of SEC baseball or baseball in general when you have three game series it's avoid the sweep and you know if you can if you can win series at home and avoid sweeps on the road then you you have a chance. And South Carolina has kind of we talked about it last week, how they had sort of built in a cushion for themselves, built in almost a buffer. Well, you know, they kind of have just eaten away at that buffer and to get swept by Kentucky really, really tough. And it, it's been for multiple reasons. Obviously, the injuries have played a major part in it. And I saw some people saying basically, well, hey, the injuries did not kind of the injuries do not affect your starting pitching, right? And I would say if we want to try to have a nuanced conversation, yes and no, because yes, the starting pitching has got to be much better and the ERA this weekend for the starters was just, you know, atrocious to say it for what it is. But also, you know, there are plays out there where Let's take, for example, you have a pop-up that is in foul territory over your third baseman's head, and it's, it's a very difficult play. Don't get me wrong. It's not an error. You know, it's a very difficult play. But you have a, a catcher playing third base, and he's going back on the ball trying to make an over-the-shoulder catch. Your shortstop based on probably positioning, is not able to get over there. That's normally shortstop's ball. But you have, what was your backup shortstop at the start of the year playing shortstop. Well, point being the ball drops, right? And then a pitch later, a couple pitches later, ball gets hit in the gap. Three runs scored. The bases were loaded in that scenario. And so that's three earned runs tacked on to your starter's uh, you know, line there. So... Pitching has got to be better, but also I think you are seeing. To me, this whole thing of well, you know, the injuries aren't affecting anything on the field. I've heard some people say it's been the pitching, not the fact that you had people out. Um, I'm not trying to make an excuse, but it does factor into multiple ways as far as how a game plays out. Maybe, maybe if you have everybody in the lineup, you score a couple early, change the entire dynamic. Of how a game and series goes, so they got to they've got to turn some things around if they're starting pitching, but also they clearly have got to start getting these guys back who have been out. And I think I uh, I don't care who you play at third base, I think you I think you need Messina your
1: captain catching, yeah,
2: because that affects your pitching as well. Having a guy
1: back there who is used to managing your pitchers, yeah, I think um, you know it, it's not like a, a sound the alarm situation as much for South Carolina because number one, like Wes said, that, that buffer is kind of being eliminated if you think of it in terms of, you know, hosting, right? Like it, it, that's that's becoming a little tougher. We'll see what happens the next couple weekends, but Lexington has been a tough place to play. You needed to go get a game at a couple games there because you've got Arkansas, who's really good, and then a Tennessee team who's been playing better as of late. That's what you close out SEC play with. But there's good news in that you do have the potential to get some guys back. And you've shown that this this isn't your identity as a team, right? Because you have built out that buffer when you've been healthier. Even when you haven't been fully healthy, you've played a lot better baseball. So I still don't know if we know the answer to the question of, you know, is this just a lull, or has has the season officially gone sour? I don't think we've seen enough to say it's officially gone sour. Um, the team that, and I'm not saying this will happen to South Carolina, but we know they're good enough based on what they've done to go make a big run in the postseason. I mean, Ole Miss last year, they're 42 and 23, at a losing record in conference. They're 14 and 16. They got swept twice. They lost. They got swept by Alabama at home. Um, And then they got swept by Tennessee at home, who was number one at the time. Um, they also ended up sweeping themselves. They went to Baton Rouge and played a top 10 LSU team and swept them and then lost the series to a top five A&M team, One and done at the SEC tournament, and then they went and won the national title, right? So it's about being built the right way and having what it takes. South Carolina has what it takes. But they do have to correct the starting pitching. they got to get the bats hot again. And I think, most importantly, they just got to get healthier as a team.
0: Right. Uh, They'll be back in action tomorrow afternoon taking on North Florida. And they hit the road once again taking on a ranked Arkansas team this weekend. We'll certainly break down that matchup more as the week goes along. But that will do it for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. For Tyler,
3: for a correction for Wes and Chris, I'm Tyler. Uh, Halftime show with Jay and Terry coming up next on 107.5 The Game.